Well, if you have your copy of scripture, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. We continue on in our study in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and we're looking in Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 15. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter to verse 23, and as usual, you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of scripture open, reading along with me, Romans 6, 15 to 23. Before we do look at this, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask his blessing on the preaching and hearing and believing of his word this morning. Father in heaven, we ask that you would add your blessing to the preaching of your word, that that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, that you would make us a people who humble ourselves under your word, that you would make us attentive to everything that you have breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would exercise your office as prophet this morning in making known the will and the gospel of God. We pray that you would make us attentive. We pray that you would help us to hear and receive and understand and keep your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, Paul's picking up what he began in verse 1, and this is what he says. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you, became, you, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Since the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word this morning. Well... If I mention the name St. Patrick, I'm sure uh, shamrocks and uh, clovers and green beer come to mind. And it might surprise you to know that St. Patrick really has nothing to do with green beer um, or shamrocks and that he wasn't even Irish. St. Patrick, to the best of our knowledge from his confessions, was either born in Scotland or France in the 5th century. And he was, you may not know this, he was taken uh, as a slave at the age of 16. He was... um, sold into slavery. He was carried to Ireland where he tended sheep as a boy and where he really grew spiritually. It was probably there in Ireland that the things he had been taught about the gospel and the scriptures that he had heard came to bear on his soul. And Patrick was at some point converted in his time in Ireland. And then Patrick was set free. He, he, he broke free from his slavery. And you might think, because I would think, if I got away from uh, my uh, enslaving captors, 
that I would go as far away as possible from them. And yet, you may not know that Patrick, while he was tending sheep, sort of developed a heart like David, and he realized that the Irish people were, in his own words, like sheep without a shepherd. And so Patrick, who now is free from slavery, goes back to Ireland, takes the gospel to the very country that enslaved him, planted the gospel in Ireland, and saw the church growing and even influencing Scotland and other areas from which he may have came. Now, why do I tell you that? Because what's interesting, when you ask the question, what would make someone who has been so ruthlessly treated, who has been so wrongly treated, what would make someone who had been enslaved and then had been set free do what he did for the sake of the gospel and going back to the very people that enslaved him? And I would argue that what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 15 through 23, is what in part would fuel what Patrick did. See, Patrick knew what it was to have been freed from sin's dominion and power. He had been set free from sin's bondage. He had been made a slave of righteousness. And so his desire was to see other people set free spiritually. He understood more acutely what it was to be set free from sin. Now, I'm going to argue this morning that the Bible's overarching message is that you by nature are a slave to sin and you need to be set free. And that Jesus says... If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, but if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The Bible is really about freedom. And yet the Bible is about a freedom, not like the freedom we imagine. We think freedom is I'm free from any rule or regulation. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to do whenever I want to do anything, whatever I want to do. Nobody can tell me that's what freedom is. And the Bible says freedom is to live for Jesus Christ. Freedom is to be set free from sin and to live for righteousness. Now, notice that Paul is really building on what he said in verse 14. Notice verse 14 there, he said uh, to these believers who had died with Jesus, who had spiritually died, who had been risen, whose old man had been crucified. Notice what he says, sin will not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul's going to say the nature of grace is when you believe in Jesus, when you see that he's a sacrifice for your sin, that you're helpless without him, that you're guilty, that you're sinking down to hell without Jesus, and that Jesus interposed his blood, and that you see your need for the sacrifice of Jesus, that the grace of God so manifests itself in your life that not only are you pardoned of all your sins, but that sin's power is broken, that you're no longer under the dominion of the law, that you are now free to live for God, free to live in newness of life. And the question then, and Paul is always hearing the objector. Paul has an acute ear. He's always hearing the person who's going to raise an objection. And so Paul says in verse 14, sin will not have dominion over you since you are no longer under law, but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Now, if, if I could put spectacles over Romans 6 for you to see the structure very clearly, colorfully. It's really divided in two parts, isn't it? Verse 1 to verse 14, verse 15 to 23. Verse 1 is parallel with verse 15. Notice verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the first objection. So Paul said, grace abounds. You can't out-sin the grace of God. Let's say you've committed a gazillion sins. God's grace in Jesus is bigger for justification. So should, can I just go on sinning because grace abounds? 
And Paul's answered that. Now notice verse 15, the second question, what are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And so somebody could say, well, I'm not under the law. I'm not going to be justified or condemned by the law of God, the Ten Commandments, on Judgment Day. I'm not going to, God's not going to receive me into everlasting life because of my performance under the law. Nor is that law going to condemn me because I'm in Jesus. So can I just go on sinning because I'm not under law but I'm under grace? So Paul's asking two distinct questions. Can I go on sinning because grace abounds? No. You've died with Christ since power's been broken. Can I go on sinning because I'm not under law but under grace? No. Paul's going to say now because you've been set free from sin and you've been made a slave of righteousness. Now, it's also helpful, I think, to understand that in verses 1 through 14, Paul has really given us sort of just one side He said, since power has been broken, that's great. It's good news. It's great news. Not just the guilt of sin, but the power of sin, the dominion of sin has been broken. Now Paul takes it further in 15 to 23, and he he functionally says, not only has sin's power been broken, but you have come under the dominion of another, under Christ and his righteousness. You now, because you've died with Christ, you have gone from one form of servitude to another. Let me say this this morning. Everybody in this room is a slave to something. Everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you like that. I don't care if you don't like me talking about slavery. Paul doesn't like talking about slavery. Verse 19, he actually sort of apologizes. He says, I have to use this because the only way you can get this, I speak in human terms. Everybody in this room is a slave to something. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. Everybody in the world is either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There's no neutrality. There's no via media. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. There's no kind of postmodern hiding place where you can go fit in there and do what you want to do. You're either under sin's dominion or under the dominion of righteousness. And that's Paul's main argument. Now, what Paul's going to do, and I think this text kind of divides nicely into three sections. First, he's going to tell us that there are two masters Secondly, he's going to tell us there's two ways of life. And finally, he's going to tell us there are two outcomes, two masters, two ways of life, and two outcomes. We'll notice in verse 16, Paul asked this second question here, do you not know? There's another, do you not know? Do you not remember? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin or of righteousness? So, So everybody presents themselves to either sin or righteousness as slaves. Everyone is allegiant, is faithful to, gives their allegiance to either sin or righteousness. And Paul's saying the best way you can understand the Christian life is to get that. To get that every day of your life you're either presenting yourself as a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. Now, sin is a a harsh taskmaster. You know, we deceive ourselves to thinking sin is going to please me, and, we, and then we learn the bondage of sin. Some of you know the bondage of sin and the, the harsh nature of sin's dominion over you. Um, sin never leads to joy inexpressible and full of glory. Sin never actually pays up. There's pleasure to sin, no doubt. If there wasn't pleasure to sin, you wouldn't do it. So... If anybody says there's not pleasure in sin, they're deceiving themselves, obviously there is, but sin never pays 
what it promises ever. And how do I know that? Because once you've done wickedness, you do more and more and more and more. And notice Paul kind of intimates that, doesn't he? When he says um, that he actually says, um, notice verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time? So what's the fruit of being a slave to sin? What's the, the fruit? What's the benefit? The things of which you're now ashamed. The end of those things is death. And, and notice in verse 19, Paul says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's what happens. Let me tell you, I, I was, I've mentioned, very rebellious when I was young, before I was converted. And I remember, and, and this has been an interesting thing for me to see now, after the Lord has brought me from death to life, that, that in high school I was much more wicked than kids I hung out with, and, and they would sort of look down with disdain on the way I was running. And now... 20 years later, they're all doing the same things I was doing at 15. Um, Paul says that's, that's how sin works. Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness and more lawlessness. It's a downward spiral. And when, when you're a slave of sin, and, and you can do this in a very dignified way. You can be a slave to sin in a very dignified way. There are lots of corporate executives with private jets who are slaves to sin Impurity leading to more impurity in a very dignified, very respectable way. So don't just think base, wicked lifestyle outwardly. You can do it in a very dignified, greedy way. You can do this in a thousand ways. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A thousand ways that you can be a slave to sin. And Paul's saying either you are presenting yourselves as a slave to sin or you're presenting yourselves as slaves to righteousness. So there are two masters. And, and everyone is serving one of those two masters. What Paul doesn't do, and this is the most important thing for you to get this morning. What Paul doesn't do, he doesn't say, so you need to do this. Paul doesn't say, stop sinning and do righteousness. Paul doesn't say, you will become a righteous person if you start doing righteousness. Because here's the reality, you can't stop sinning. By nature, if you're a slave to sin, you can't get set free from that apart from the gospel. So Paul is not interested in you having 10 steps for you to stop sinning or 12 steps for you to stop doing something and getting right. That's not what Paul says. And I want to read this quote. One One of my favorite theologians said this. I think this is so good. He said, there's something in me that keeps saying to Paul, just make it simple for me. Just give me three things to do. And Paul's saying, oh, you don't get it. Don't you see that the single most important thing for you to understand if you're going to live the Christian life in the sweet grace of Jesus Christ is to understand who you now are in Jesus Christ before you do. Let me break that down for you. What he's saying is, Paul doesn't give you three things to become a slave of righteousness. What he's telling you is if you're in Jesus Christ, because of what he's done, you are now a slave of righteousness. You have become, look at verse 19. Notice verse 19. Paul says, verse 18, I'm sorry, having been set free, having been, past tense, you have been set free. That's already happened. You didn't do anything for that to happen. You believed in the Lord Jesus because of what he did You were set free. And then notice what Paul says, and have become 
slaves of righteousness. So if you're a Christian, if you're a true believer, if you are trusting Jesus, you are a slave of righteousness. That is what you are. That's your identity. That's not something you, you pursue. That's not, that's not something that you're trying to gain by what you do. It's not trying to live a strictly regimented life. It's not by any character development. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that in the death of Jesus, you were set free from sin and you were made a slave of righteousness. This is enormous to get this. In fact, Paul will round this discussion out in chapter 12, verse 1, by saying that what we need more than anything is the renewing of our minds, that you need to get the gospel. I want to read one other quote. Sinclair Ferguson says, We're so interested in doing a few things that will make a difference that we don't have the patience to understand that the gospel needs to make a difference to us. We're so interested in doing a few things that will make a difference that we don't have the patience to understand that the gospel needs to make a difference to us. Paul will come in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when he answers the question, what is it that transforms lives? And his answer, it's what happens to people's minds, first of all. It's when we take the gospel in and the revolutionary transformation that it makes to our identity. So, what Paul's saying, and what I'm pleading with you this morning to get, is that the way that you live um, zealous, um, bond-servant, committed lives to Jesus is to get what Jesus has done for you. It's not for you to do anything. It's not for you to make any resolutions. It's not for you to decide to do better tomorrow. It's for you to get. Paul is, in chapter 6, he is saying, get what happened to you in Christ. Get what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Get that sin's power has been broken. Get that you were set free from sin's dominion. Get that you have been set free to the righteousness of God. Get that you now live as obedient servants of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And how can it be any other way? If we really believe that God subjected himself, became a servant, he sold himself in a a slave court for us. When God became man, he made himself a slave to set you free from spiritual slavery. So how, how can it be any other way? How can it be any other way? One of the beauties of this is this sort of obliterates a legal mindset about righteousness. I think a lot, even in the Reformed Church, they have a very legal mindset about righteousness. It's very, very rigid and legal. And that's not at all what Paul does. Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know what happened to you and Jesus? Don't you know that you've been set free? Don't you know that sin's power has been broken? Don't you know that you now serve a new master, a gracious master, a master whose love knows no bounds for you, a master who lavishes all of his mercy and grace upon you, who even when you fall is there to pick you up and to bear you up and to gently lead you on, who is a good, nurturing shepherd who cares deeply more than you could ever know for you, a master whose grace and mercy know no bounds. That's who we serve in the gospel. That's what propelled Patrick to go back to Ireland. Now, I don't think we fully grasp this because you never see this in the world. You rarely see it in the church. People who so get what Paul's saying in Romans 6 that it becomes evident to everybody 
what could be motivating this person to do this? It's easy to, it's easy to be a slave to sin. You say, the easiest thing in the world is to be a slave to sin. Easiest thing in the world. But when we get what Christ has done, when we get that we have a new master, when we get that we serve obedience and righteousness, that we are free to obey God, we get the propelling power of the gospel. Secondly, Paul tells the Romans that there are two ways of life. And as we've already noted, you have the two masters, sin and righteousness, and you have the two ways of life, disobedience, unrighteousness, impurity, lawlessness. These are some of the words that Paul highlights in this chapter. And obedience and righteousness and holiness. These are the two ways of life, and everybody's on those two courses. And that means that your life is either defined by just living in unrighteousness and lawlessness and and, and everything that is antithetical to Jesus' kingdom or your life is living out and wanting to live godly and righteously. Now, Paul is not saying that if you've been set free to righteousness that you're going to be sinless. Paul is not saying that. Paul is going to very clearly say that there's still a war going on within us. But I think, I think that when you have died with Christ... And when you have risen with Christ, even though you feel the pull of the world and you feel the temptations and you sometimes fall, that there's something, there's a, there's a seed of regeneration in you. There's a principle of slavery to righteousness in you that doesn't want that. There's a constant tugging because you are on, you're a slave to obedience. And so subjecting yourself to disobedience feels unnatural, even though it's right there, it's always pulling, it's always strong and powerful. Paul is essentially saying, if you're a believer in Christ and you are a slave to righteousness and and your way of life is a way of obedience to God, then when you feel that pull, when you go that way, that is actually unnatural because you are subjecting yourself to another way of life and another another, uh, slave master, as it were. And so notice what Paul says. Notice what he says. He says in verse um, 17, Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. God's changed the hearts of his people. At the end of the day, Christianity is not about your determination, your resolution, your discipline, any of those things. It's not about making a profession. It's not about any of those things. It's about God taking out a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. It's about God sprinkling clean water on you, giving you clean hearts and pure hearts, making the prayer of your heart, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And unless you have a new heart, you are not a slave to obedience. And so Paul's saying, listen, you who are, you who have died with Christ, you who have your hearts renewed, you've obeyed from the heart the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, I think when Paul says... You obeyed from the heart the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's speaking about the gospel. And Paul is saying that in the way of obedience, the truths about Christ, the truths of Scripture, are always there working on you. They're always working on you. They're always they're hidden in your heart. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The standard of teaching. You see, Christianity is not mystical. And it's not emotionalism. 
that God gives the gospel, he gives truth, and as we walk the paths of righteousness, we are obeying from the heart the standard of teaching, the pattern, the form of teaching that the scriptures teach. Now, let me ask you this before we look at the outcome. If you examine your life and you ask yourself, does my, does my life reflect that I am a slave to sin and walking in a path of impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness? Or does my life reflect that I have been set free from sin and I'm a slave of Christ and I'm a slave of God and I'm a slave of righteousness and I want to do what's right and I want to please him and I love what's good and holy and beautiful and everything in contrast to the world? If you ask yourself that question, where would you fall on those two paths? Because at the end of the day, if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter how much you're struggling with sin, how much you feel the pull of the world, the reality is you will be able to say, I am on a path of righteousness. I love what's right. I love what's good. I love what's holy. I've died with Christ. He's redeemed me. He has put me on the narrow path that leads to life. It's not anything I've done, but I can say my life is marked out by that. And if you can't say that, it means one thing. You have not died in Jesus. You have not trusted in Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much you say. You know, through all my years of rebellion, I said, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I was the last person who should have been able to say they were a Christian. And, you know, whenever I meet people who very evidently their lives are marked out by slavery to sin and they say, I'm a Christian, I want to take them back and I want them to be able to experience what I experienced in the regenerating grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's what's needed. To be born of God's spirit is what's needed. Now, thirdly, Paul tells us that there's two outcomes. There's two masters, there's two ways of life, and there's two outcomes. Nothing that happens in life happens without consequences. There's going to be an inevitable outcome for which of those two paths we're on. And notice what Paul says in verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, I think when Paul says sin leads to death, he certainly means physical death and he means eternal death. And by contrast, he says that now that you've been set free from sin, you have the fruit that leads to sanctification, the end, eternal life. So, the end of those two paths, one is death and one is life. Now, you have to listen very carefully. Paul does not say, start being holy to get eternal life. He doesn't say that. He says, notice, verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get is sanctification. So the fruit of having been set free is you get holiness. That's a gift. That's fruit. So if you're in Jesus, God is saying, here, my son and my daughter, here is holiness. That's, that's his, the Puritans used to say holiness is his special treasure for his children. The world will never get that. Believers will get that. God gives the fruit of holiness to his people because Jesus Christ has set them free through his death. And the end is eternal life. The fruit is the holiness. The end is eternal life. 
Jesus Christ gives us the end, which is eternal life. It's not the holiness that gives us eternal life. It's not your efforts that give you eternal life. You get that on your way as fruit. Otherwise, it's legalism. And we're saying what you do gets you eternal life. Notice what Paul says, the last verse, and maybe hopefully this verse, if you've known it your whole life, will come alive to you today because it's often taken out of context. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. That's, that's what, that's what you've got to get paid for sin is death. It's the just wages. A lot about wages on TV right now. There's no, there's no uh, overtime. You get, you get the full down payment of death. You get, get in full if you live in sin. It's minimum wage. It's full-time wage. The wages of sin is death. That's the end. Sin leads to death. But notice the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're in Jesus, you have been set free from sin's power. You have been placed under the dominion of obedience You have been given the fruit of sanctification. God cares about transforming his people. God has said, I'm going to transform you into the likeness of my son. And then you get eternal life as a gift of God through what Christ did at the cross. And that's the end result. And here's the beauty. In glory, you will be able to say, Lord Jesus, you were the most gracious master. You get all the glory. It wasn't my holiness that got me here. It wasn't my efforts. It wasn't me trying to do better, fix myself, atone for my sins. You have done everything. When Paul says the free gift, I think we we tend to think this cheap evangelical, here's a gift, take it. We're talking about eternal life that Jesus merits by his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, reign, and he gives you everlasting life. He gives it to his people through what he did at the cross. He gives it to you, and he gives you all the righteousness, all the justification, all the holiness. You get all of it in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have to choose a master, which master do you want to serve? I want to serve the gracious Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve a master who gives me everlasting life, not a master that's going to give me everlasting destruction, because that's what sin's going to get you, everlasting destruction. It's the wages of sin. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me say this this morning. Life is so short. I was thinking this morning, um, I counseled a couple, very young couple, a couple months ago, and and pretty sure the husband took his life a couple weeks ago. Um, Very young. And just thinking, life is very short. What Paul says here, we need to pour over every day. We need to study the things that he says in Romans 6. And we need to be subjecting our minds to the gospel. We need to let the truth of what Christ has done rest on us. You know what that's going to do? It's going to get rid of legality. You're going to become a kinder, gentler, more caring, more nurturing person. It's going to get rid of lawlessness. You're not going to walk in unrighteousness and disobedience. You're going to hate the world and all the things of the world. It's, it's going to... I love these words from Ferguson. If you're going to live the Christian life in the sweet grace of Jesus Christ, 
you're going to live the Christian life in the sweet grace of Jesus Christ, you need to understand who you now are in Jesus Christ before you do. Before you do. This is not for new Christians. This is for you. This is for aged saints. This is for new believers. This is for people who have been Christians their whole life. This is for people who are not yet Christians and need this to sink into their minds and hearts and who cry out for that sort of deliverance from sin's bondage. Let him who has ears to hear this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would have mercy on us, that you'd make us who are in Christ Jesus to know that we have been set free from sins dominion and that we have been made slaves of righteousness by your grace, by the working of your spirit, by the death and the resurrection of your son. We thank you, Father, that you have done what we could never do. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a gracious master, that you are full of grace and truth, that you are a kind and good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for your own namesake. We pray that you would restore our souls this morning through the gospel. We pray if there are any here who do not know you, that you grant them repentance. You convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work among us, taking these things and pressing them into our minds and hearts and consciences. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.